Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM. Liftoff is an occasional podcast about space, our feelings about space, and related subjects. My name is Jason Snell, and I'm joined as occasional by my co- occasional co-host, Stephen Hackett. Stephen, hello. Hello. I've been showing up every other Tuesday. Where have you been? Oh, man. Sucker. It's lonely in this Zoom call. Just, just me and... Like I can't believe you space. don't post those one man alone with his thoughts. <laughs> right, as yeah. a podcast, you it's can the, do that. The Mercury podcast, just one the monologue, one crew member. Mm-hmm. I got, I got the reference there. Mm, it was good, right? We're more of a a, a Gemini, uh, Gemini cricket here. Yeah. yeah, crammed in together into a washing machine. And that brings us to the SLS segment, Space Launch System segment, explaining geopolitics, mechanical systems, engineering achievements, news and trivia. For those just joining us, you may not know the SLS segment's been a recurring segment on liftoff since the very beginning, and it's been a place where we come and talk and talk and talk about a rocket that has not launched. And uh, Stephen, just checking in, did anything change? <laughs> Boy, it did. It launched. Early, early in the morning on uh, Wednesday, November 16th. It was in prime time here on the West Coast. It was like 10.30, something like that. I was asleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they they finally did it. They they finally got it off after uh, a couple of attempts. It wrote out a hurricane inside, and then it wrote out a second hurricane outside, which was nerve-wracking. They had several overnight launch windows, and they were able to get it uh, off the ground on the first night wasn't flawless. They had some issues uh, with some hydrogen leaks, which has just plagued this this poor rocket in its previous launch attempts. And uh, this time it was uh, basically a couple of big nuts on top of these um, couplers, and they sent out what's called the red team, which is two people with some big wrenches and big guts <laughs> to go walk up underneath a a a fueled ready to go rocket uh but they were able to resolve the issue and the countdown resumed and those uh those guys are heroes yeah they they uh went on they interviewed them afterward and that was a pretty funny interview where they're like uh you know this is our job we train for it so what we do is go out mm-hmm. there and 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 although there's this whole like I can't believe there are people next to the fueled up rocket like there are people when the, it's a crewed mission there are people up in the in the tower getting the getting the astronauts in and then and and being up there and they're up there until pretty close to launch so they're up there in a fueled rocket but still that moment where they're like we need you to go tighten some screws <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> please drive out to the rocket and they went out there and they did it and then that was the that was the the red team. Mm-hmm. Caused a little bit of a delay. I was going to miss the launch because I was going to be in the car driving home. And uh, then I got home and they're like, no, we're still in our 10-minute hole. I was like, yes. Yeah, there's a, a picture. Uh, I've got a, a Space.com article in the show notes talking about the red team. And I chose this article out of the mini because they have a picture. And there's a minivan in the foreground at the base of the pad. And it really puts into scale how big this thing is. It It's the size of a building, right? Oh, yeah. And you got a couple guys out there, and uh, the interview was great. I went back and watched it, and they got some quotes in this uh, article. Apparently, they came back in to, like, standing applause. But uh, they were able to, uh, to resolve the issue. And Artemis 1, the mission formerly known as Exploration Mission 1, or EM-1, was able to take off what, about half an hour into the... Uh, 
into the launch window. So past my bedtime, but I'm glad you were able to see it live. And I want to ask you, like, how did that feel? What did you, what were you thinking about as it was, uh, as the clock was counting down? Well, I mean, first thing I thought, uh, you talked about the size of it, seeing the size of the solid rocket boosters and then seeing how giant the the tank is with the capsule on top of it and getting the, you know, space shuttle scale, right? That this is like super mega space shuttle stack, which is what the SLS has been all along. The whole idea of the SLS was to try and reuse some space shuttle tech yep. in this. And it's been 12 years since the space shuttle, 11 years, 11 years, almost 11 and a half since the last space shuttle launch. Um, and so I was also thinking back to that and how long ago that was. And I was there for that. Um, and so to see this and with, with some of that hardware looking awfully familiar, um, definitely was uh, quite a feeling. And then also like the whole day, it actually reminded me of the day of the last shuttle launch because we had been told that the launch window uh, you know, it was a very particular launch window and there were bad weather forecasts and they thought that they weren't going to get it off and that it was almost a given, even though we all had to show up at four in the morning or whatever, five mm-hmm. in the morning, it was kind of a given that it wasn't going to go, but we were going to give it a shot just in case. As the day progressed, it just kept going where it was like, this is going to happen, right? Like, so you you started in a place of skepticism and then it just kept kind of accelerating and everybody's looking at everybody else going like, is this really g- happening? Is this really going to go? And that went all the way and it launched and that was it. First try, the whole thing. Um, and I felt like that was going on. I was looking at, I mean, I was feeling it myself, but I was also looking at my space Twitter list. And like, it seems like all the space journalists are like, oh, I guess it's, I guess they're going to do it like mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's been such a long story. And then even for this launch where they had the delay and they had the, and then they had the delay because they had to roll it back. And then they, that dropped off another date and then they brought it back out. And there was a question about the hurricane and were they going to, and then after, despite all of that, they got to this day that they said, no, we're going to do it. And as the day went along, you really got the sense, Oh yeah, they're going to, they're going to do it. Like if nobody really saw anything jumping out at them that was going to be a problem. And other than sending the red team out to uh, tighten those nuts, other than that, it, it, it went, it was that very same vibe for me of yeah. uh, almost surprise. Cause you, after so long and after all that waiting and after sort of being told, you know, this is, this is going to be a difficult thing. And all those, like, do we do the, do we do the wet test? And you know, all of the, the history of the SLS, you get to that moment and you're looking at a, a, an hour or five hours or whatever between you and the launch and you realize there's nothing in the way anymore. Like right. there's nothing in the way. And they, as they were loading the propellant during the day, everybody's like that, that lighter, they did a sort of the, they learned last time the, um, that they were pushing it too hard and that there were springing leaks in the hydrogen. And they're like, just back off of it and load it a little slower. And they're like, oh yeah, that works better. So they did it that way. So when they were doing the slow loading, everybody's like, oh yeah, we did this before. This totally works. And and so it just came that moment where I'm just sitting there watching it on my TV at home. They're counting it down. And, and there's that moment where they're at like, it's, you know, it's 30 seconds. We've switched over to the internal systems and then they're down to 10 seconds and they they flood the pad and they've got the little sparklers to, to burn off any excess hydrogen. And I'm thinking first off shuttle flashbacks and second, like, Oh, we're here. This is it. After all this time, this is just going to happen. And then other than it being, you know, not a, a SpaceX launch, which we've seen so many of over the last decade and it being like a shuttle launch kind of feel it was, 
it was just that familiarity like oh yeah that's what this looks like um and it was it, so it was wild right because you and i were so deep down in the weeds of all the things that had gone wrong and all the delays to have that kind of pure moment of just uh it's a it's a rocket launch and it's kind of like what you remember but not really um it was quite a moment it really was yeah, my impression. So basically, first thing when I woke up, I grabbed my phone. And I was like, "Okay, did it did it go?" And wa- I sent you some uh, some Slack messages. Yep, yep. It's <laughs> <laughs> actually the first thing I saw. And then I went and found the launch video, and I had similar. Yeah, I was like, "Yeah, this is familiar. This this is hardware that we know." But at the same time, it also felt foreign because this thing is so powerful and so big like it gives you sort of those vibes of the old saturn days right and that's kind of what this rocket is for it's to do similar things to what the saturn 5 did and the thing that i that i really came away with watching the video you know after the fact was boy that thing hauls like it once it moved it was moving and of course it's designed to to carry a lot of a lot of cargo, a lot of payload and crew, and there's going to be even more powerful versions of it down the road. This really is just the beginning. And for all the trouble this rocket program has had, and if you're listening and not familiar with, the roots of this program date back to the early 2000s. And there was a Constellation program. It didn't really go anywhere. The Orion capsule came out of that. And then this idea came up, well, what if we sort of remix and upgrade shuttle components to, you know, to fly known trusted hardware, but in a new, a more traditional configuration, right? With the capsule up on top, which is much safer. And so it does feel new and old at the same time for the 20 something billion dollars it's cost and years and years beyond what its initial uh, schedule was supposed to be. Mm. I suddenly found myself not caring about that, watching it, like watching this thing that so many people have worked on for so long, seeing it come to life for the first time was really exciting and inspiring for me. And, you know, there's going to be crew on that uh, eventually in the next couple of years. And we're going to have people hopefully back on the moon after that. And it is a, a new day in space exploration for the United States. You know, one thing for all the good the shuttle did, I mean, we have the International Space Station, we have Hubble, serviced Hubble because of the shuttle. For all the good the shuttle was capable of, it was ultimately a flawed vehicle. We know that it killed two crew, but it also limited our reach into space. We were limited to low Earth orbit. And now all of a sudden, we have the ability to go back and forth to the space station through SpaceX and maybe eventually the the Boeing Starliner, which is having maybe. other problems. <laughs> but now we also have the capability to go back to cislunar space. And having those at the same time is not something we've really had. I mean, they they did there were Apollo missions that were low Earth orbit, but once they were moved past that, they moved past it. And now we're going to be able to do both. And that's that's exciting. Yeah. And with more potentially on the way, right? Because you've also got um, Starship out there mm-hmm. that they're still doing tests on and, and firing off um, more and more engines and all of that. But yeah, it is. Also, you know, we, I don't know. I don't know how people out there who have listened to this podcast have felt about our, our um our take on the SLS, but I, I always felt like it was mixed. Like I, I am, I have been frustrated about the SLS as a political 
I don't know, product, a political uh, device that's used to spread government money around in every every state and every congressional district um, and make the senator from Alabama happy and all of that. And I've also been frustrated about the fact that the SLS represents a, an approach to space that does have its roots in the 1970s mm-hmm. with the shuttle and that is not anywhere near sort of the revolution of the last 10 years in terms of reusability and and the much lower prices of launches. And it is still possible to look at this and say, in a few years, if Starship continues to kind of like go where people think it's going to go, including NASA, which gave them a contract for yep. for moon landings, that there may come a time when we look at the SLS and say, I'm not sure that this is suited for the for the time that it was you know but that doesn't take away from any of the people who worked on it who made this thing go off on its first launch without as far as we can tell without a hitch and i had um when i talked about my shuttle vibes i had some real young crippen vibes i know there weren't people in this one but it still is sort of like this is just we built it and we're gonna fire it off and see what happens (laughs) Uh uh-huh and and you know so so congratulations really to everybody who worked on this it's the fact of its existence coming from these complex issues doesn't lessen the work or the majesty of that powerful rocket or the awesomeness of firing a capsule around the moon all of that is still really cool even if even if it turns out that history shows that in 10 or 15 years we look back and say, yeah, that was a very impressive product, but it was kind of a dead end, and then we've moved on to something else. Even if that's the case, it's, I think, pretty clear that it's going to be the thing that gives us the the, the start that's going to lead to people going back to the moon. Yeah, I want to talk about, I think, the the primary thing that comes to mind when I think about, okay, this thing is from a different era and it's the reusability, right? And mm, yeah. the shuttle was built from the beginning to be reusable. It wasn't as fast as a turnaround on the orbiter as as NASA had pitched, but they were able to reuse it. They were able to reuse the main engines and reuse the solid rocket, or at least retrieve the solid rocket booster casings. But the SLS is not a reusable rocket. It kind of hurts me from like the history perspective that the four engines used on this are spatial engines that have long history, and now they're uh, now they're fish food. Yeah, they weren't they weren't like leftover space shuttle main engines. They are literally they have between them twenty five total space shuttle launches. One of those engines has been used twelve times. So that's the level of so you want to talk reusability, right? The space shuttle was reusable, not in like a uh, an easy way, but it was technically reusable. And those main engines, which are some of the coolest uh, rocket engines ever made, um, they they ha- did their job. And two of them were, in fact, I've got to see them. Two of them were on the last shuttle mission. Um, and they took Artemis 1 up into space and then basically, you know, burned up and, and are goners. That, mm-hmm. And like you said, fish food. They're just cr- crashing back down in the ocean and that's it. And I get it. I get why they did it. It, it, it. The truth is it's also kind of a, yeah, these were reusable, but they're also a really good engine and we've got them at hand and so let's use them. Yeah. But, it, it, but you know, I wouldn't have thought anything about it 10 years ago. Yeah, I mean, SpaceX is is the company that has made that viable. 
right, before the Falcon series of rockets, reusability was basically limited to the shuttle. And even then, like not not the way the Falcon 9 is, where they can basically dust it off, refuel it, and fly it again. They don't even yeah. repaint them anymore, right? They're launching like <laughs> singed up rockets. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just a different it's just a different thing, and of course, what the, it, it, it's not just SpaceX, right? SpaceX sort of like got everybody else to realize, oh yeah, we need to do this if we're going to be price competitive. Yeah, um, and and you know, SLS is obviously not a product that is intended to be price competitive in any way because it's not. I mean, it's not. It's just not. Um, but I, I just yeah, I had a pang of like they were those engines, they were reusable, but now they're disposable. Seems like the wrong way to go, but I understand it, um, and I think in the long run that's where we're going to uh, to be with all sorts of space stuff, but not not for SLS. And and also I will grant SLS has got a very particular job to do, right? Which is a huge amount of lift to get uh, to go to deep space, to go to places like the moon, right? That is it's it's mission and um it's harder to do reusability for something like that and it just wasn't made for it so let's talk a little bit about the mission itself uh, it is more than just a launch demonstration mm-hmm. one of the the neatest things to me and i've got a personal connection to it is that uh the there's a sort of intermediate stage that had that was loaded with 10 cubesats which we talked about cubesats in the past they're basically very small satellites that are, in satellite terms, cheap to build, cheap to operate. Some of them are using basically like hardened consumer-grade hardware in them. And some of these are research and experimentation. There's some university projects in here. I've got a link in the show notes. You can go read about them. Uh, but two jumped out at me in particular. And my personal connection to this is, so this hardware where they were loaded, I saw at Marshall back in February of 2018 when you and I attended the state of NASA, you in California, me uh, at Marshall, and they had this this adapter, and like you could see where they were going to go. It was really cool. They told me not to drop my phone into it, and I did not drop my phone into it, dear listener. I did not <laughs> ruin the sanctity of SLS flight hardware. But uh, one of the CubeSats is called uh, Lunier. It's L-U-N-I-R. And It's doing some other stuff, but part of the hardware they're flying is a test bed for hardware that will be part of, like, the Europa Clipper mission Hmm. and a mission that we've talked a lot about in previous episodes. Some people in Congress very into the Clipper and and a mission that was legally tied to the SLS for the longest time, Mm -hmm. uh, where Congress is like, no, you have to fly this on this rocket, and I think they've backed off that, but... Yeah. These CubeSats give engineers and scientists and teams ways to test hardware in space without uh, a full-blown launch, right? These things are just kind of tucked away in this upper stage, and they're ejected at certain times. Uh, another one that's interesting, uh, uh, Omotenashi. It's Japanese for oh, welcome. Great acronyms here. Yeah. Have you missed the acronym, Stephen? Have you missed them? I have, them? yes. And it's a lunar landing demonstration, And if that is successful, Japan will become the fourth nation to land a spacecraft on the moon after us, the Soviet Union, and then China. So history being made in these little CubeSats, you know, a little satellite you could take under your arm and take with you. Uh, Some cool stuff going on there. And I I remember... Cubes are best. We already know. Cubes are best. Cubes are the best. And I I remember in the... 
I mean, years and years ago when they were talk, putting together what this mission was going to be, a big part of it back then was CubeSats really weren't proven yet. They were, it was still very much a developmental thing. And then we've seen them in the year since become uh, a bigger deal. I mean, the um, oh yeah, the most recent Mars rover, remember, it had two little chasing CubeSats to take pictures of it. I mean, it was... when, when I was at the shuttle launch in 2011, um, Nanorex was there and they were talking about, you know, putting things up in the ISS. But it was also very much a sort of like this is we're using smartphone tech to build space stuff right and and like that is sort of the cubesat mantra is take the stuff off the shelf for cheap small and get them into space where they can do stuff and so the idea that you know we come all this way and yeah we didn't just launch a capsule to the moon but also 10 cubesats is very cool it is very cool uh so what about orion what is it going to be doing what is this uh, uh not crewed this time but crew capsule what is it doing in space yeah, it's one of those things that I, I hadn't really focused on for a long time. In fact, I think in our last episode, our last regular uh, non-Apollo episode that we did, um, I, I mentioned that I, I, I think I was guessing is what they were even going to do. So I, I can tell you now that I have read up since then. The mission is long. The mission is going to take tw- almost 26 days total. So there's a lot of time out there. Uh, Orion is going to, it, as we record this, it's on its way to the moon. It's going to orbit the moon for about six days. There's actually a uh, kind of a dramatic, uh, almost balletic uh, flyby th- approach that they're doing where they're going to reach the moon. There is a lunar gravity assist that puts them in what they call a distant retrograde orbit. So basically op- opposite of the direction that, that, the, that the moon is moving, it's going to be moving opposite. Um, and so if you look at it from Earth's perspective, it looks like a very weird trajectory. But if you look at it from the moon's perspective, it's this retrograde orbit. Um, they're going to orbit, this capsule is going to orbit the moon for about six days. And then there is another uh, another departure for from the di- distant retrograde orbit with a gravity assist, I think, as well. Anyway, and there's a four day return. So, so then the and I say they, but it's you know it's the the mannequin who is in a spacesuit that they're testing, and the there's a Snoopy in a spacesuit that's floating around, and all the other stuff that they're testing inside of the capsule, because um, it gives it's going to give them actual deep space data for the capsule as well, even though there's nobody on it. Yeah. Um. Four day four days back, and then so it'll be December 11th. So, again, mission's almost a month, and it'll be almost a month from now when they will splash down in the Pacific. And that will have given them essentially a dry run for a complete Artemis mission without any people on board. But they're going to get lots and lots of data about the launch, about the cruise, both directions, about being in the proximity of the moon, and like all that time in, in the capsule and how the capsule fares, as well as, of course, the re-entry. So there's lots that they're going to be able to learn from this. And it really is that that uncrewed dry run for, um, for Artemis II, which will be a very similar mission in the sense that it will launch and go around the moon, um, the difference being that there will be people on that one. And Orion flew years and years ago. I mean, before... Liftoff was a was a podcast, but it's been a long time. It's the first time that it is paired with the SLS powering it, and you've got to fly them together before you put crew on them. It's it's uh, the way you have to do it. So December eleventh, it will splash down. You may be thinking, "Wow, guys, this sounds a lot like an Apollo mission." Mm. Yeah, it does. 
Uh, it is very much following in those footsteps, just with a lot more technology and ultimately, hopefully, if everything goes to plan, a lot more capability as well. You know, things uh, that are part of the Artis- Artemis mission include uh, a gateway, which is a cis-lunar, basically minimally viable space station. Right. The, there are plans uh, for lunar landers. SpaceX is working on that, along with some others. And there's still a lot to do. But this is probably the biggest first step, is, is making sure this rocket actually does what they've promised it would do for a decade. Right. This is one of those uncrewed um, ones that we don't talk about that are like uh, uncrewed um, demonstrations of Apollo. Mm -hmm. The difference being that I don't believe any of the Apollo demonstrations actually went to the moon, right? I think Apollo 8 literally was the first one. Yep. That did that. And that's what Artemis 2 is essentially going to replay, which is we're going to send people to the moon, but we're not going to have them land on the moon. They're just going to go around it. And then Artemis 3 would be the analog of Apollo 11 and actually put people on the surface. And there is a great deal. We And I, you know, <laughs> it's one, two, three. Easy, right? Um, well, first off, the Cadence, they're not going to be able to launch Artemis 2 for a couple of years. But the, you know, the difference between one and two and two and three seems similar, but it's not because Artemis three requires a long list of stuff that has not, is not yet close to happening to happen. And in fact, Eric Berger at Ars Technica, who we quote all the time, um, he talked to somebody who had, who, who actually said that they didn't think that the SLS would launch until probably uh, uh, early 23. And this was like five years ago pretty close right pretty close yeah this is this is the one time where the adage of the end of the year means the next year was proven false i mean this thing launched the week before thanksgiving <laughs> except i think it was this was not supposed to launch at the end of the year right wasn't it supposed to launch earlier and it, it fell to the end it's of the year true. yeah uh, it's when you target the end of the year that you don't mean it anyway eric Berger's uh person who he you know is not identified who is obviously somebody uh known and influential in in space stuff and accurate in this way said that they didn't think that there would be a um artemis 3 couldn't happen before 2028 even though people are talking about like 2025 because there's a long list of things like there needs to be starship actually needs to launch and be proven they need spacex needs to do in orbit fuel transfer for starship um the, you know, the, because the Starship is going to be the lander. Um, the spacesuit, as we d- detailed on a previous episode of Liftoff, they are doing commercial spacesuit. So the spacesuit is being built by a commercial organization. And although they're testing some stuff, uh, that is uh, that timeline is a, is an open question, right? Because they need to have the spacesuit because you got to get out when you get there. Otherwise, why did you go just land on the moon and sit there and look outside forlornly? No. So that's in process, too. So there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle that are still being built for Artemis 3. So Artemis 3 is a bigger leap than Artemis 2, and it may take longer. But with Artemis 1 going now, assuming that this all continues as planned, Artemis 2 in a couple of years does not seem unrealistic at all, because if they're confident in what they executed this time then the real difference is you're putting people in it. And while that's a big difference, from a certain technical point of view, it's not because it's all the same 
you know, rocket launch, mm-hmm. you know, the same capsule that's pressurized, that has breathable air. All of that's the same. It's just the risk is higher because you've got human beings involved. But otherwise, you, it's all using things that you've proved. Big stuff, man. Uh, Big stuff. It's, it's uh, real stuff. It's good to see. A little, uh, a little surreal, honestly, because we've talked about it for so long. And one of the things I sent you after, after I sent you my first, after lunch, my first thing I sent you was SLS segment. Yep. <laughs> and then I said it's the year of both JWST and SLS, two projects that we talked about for the entire life of liftoff, about being long delayed, and would they ever happen. Mm-hmm. And they both, and we also did that about commercial crew, but that was a couple years ago, right? Three years ago, they figured that out. But like, it turns out you can line out 2022 as the year of SLS and of uh, JWST. They both happened uh, this year, which is, I would say, that makes it a pretty good year for, for space stuff, right? Yeah, I, I, 100%. Mm. Unless you're in charge of the Boeing capsule. Well, <laughs> yeah. Story for a different time. <laughs> yeah, and there's some interesting stuff coming up, right? Like even if even if this all goes well, it's probably going to be until 2024 before Artemis 2, but um the the uh, Starship development proceeds apace. Yep. And I I suspect that next year mo- the most interesting things that happen in space again, maybe Boeing will get its act together and we'll we'll finally get uh Starliner to the ISS, but uh Aside from that, I think the adjustment uh, that that they're making down in Texas to try and and finally put this uh, Starship thing together, um, everybody's going to be watching that because not only is that going to be a, a potentially a remarkable uh, uh, rocket on its own, but NASA's watching it really closely because that's their ride to the moon at this point. It's a it's a big deal. Jason, we're we're going to be back in December for our final Apollo mission. I know. I don't know what we're going to do after that. I mean, we might need like another excuse for us to do stuff together here other than news. But uh, there is the last Apollo 17, mm-hmm. the last, which was also a night launch like this one was, which is also kind of fun. Yeah. They sent a but geologist to space. <laughs> it's going to be great. Yeah. yeah. It's it's good. That's my favorite episode of From the Earth to the Moon, too, is the, uh, hey, guys, let's go look at rocks. Uh, <laughs> finally. Uh, scientist. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we'll do that next month. Awesome. Well, that sounds good. If you want to go read a lot more about Artemis One, check out our show notes at relay.fm slash liftoff slash 170. Jason, this has been fun. And uh, yeah, man. Yeah. It's good to get back in this document. You know, it's like putting on an old jacket. It's like, yeah, I know how this works. Yeah. It's still all there. I asked before we started, do we even have Zoom? And like, there's a Zoom link in it and it worked and the doc works and the whole thing works. So like the SLS, we didn't, you know, necessarily, it took us a while, <laughs> <laughs> but all the, uh, we, we managed to not overload the, the hydrogen and, uh, and we launched. So it's good. Good sign. All right. Well, I'll talk to you next month, buddy. All right. Everybody out there, we'll be back with uh, Apollo next month. <laughs>